Welcome to the Northeast Christian Podcast. We're so excited that you've decided to check out our weekly messages. We hope that you're challenged and inspired by what you're hearing today. We'd love to have you join us this weekend at one of our campuses or online at northeast.live. For more information on Northeast, visit us at necchurch.org. If you love the Northeast podcast, subscribe to our channel and leave us a comment or a rating in the Apple Podcast Store. Well, welcome to Northeast. You have come during a great series as we are giving a peek behind the curtain into what we're all about and who we are. And it's, we really don't hide it very well. It's kind of on the wall when you walk in that illuminated Jesus is why out there is the purpose behind why we do everything that we do. And the way we do that, our mission is to unleash the love of Jesus every day, everybody, everywhere, in our home, in our work, in our city, our church, in our school. And to do that, there are five things that we value. These are our values that we will never give up on. Intimacy with God, love for neighbor, faithfulness to the truth, our public witness, and our mission intentionality. And those are our values. And this is week four of our series. If you missed the first three, I encourage you to go back on YouTube or go back on our website and watch them, especially last week as we had the youth take over our service. That was awesome. It was so cool to hear about that. Yep, it's worth clapping. And they got to talk about our, our aspirational value of we will invest disproportionately in discipling our youth. And we call that an aspirational value target because it's something that we think is starting, but we want it to grow and we want it to be a reality. It's a little bit like uh, Love the Ville. Do you realize that Love the Ville six years ago didn't exist? And now, not a week goes by that I don't hear us being called the Love the Ville Church in our community. We aspired to earn for ourselves the reputation as the Love the Ville Church. And here we are six years later and not a week that I don't hear it from someone in our school system or administrators or teachers or a pastor from another church and always in a good light calling us the Love the Ville Church. It turned from an aspiration into a reality and that's what we want uh, for 10 other values. You got to hear about one of them last week. Today we're gonna be talking about two more. But before we do that, will you pray with me? Let's pray. Dear God, I thank you for this church. I thank you for the people that make it who it is. And Lord, we thank you for your son. He's the reason we're here. Lord, I pray today that you challenge and encourage every one of us uh, into being a, <clears throat> a bringer of unity. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Polarized. That is one of the best ways to describe our country and maybe even our world today. When I was a kid, the only thing that I knew that was polarized were my Oakleys. And they were cool. They were cool. The only divisions I knew about were that I liked the Steelers and my brother liked the Cowboys. That I liked the Cards and my brother liked the Cats, which is still true to this day. Go Cards. But it was as I got older, I realized there were quite a few more divisions in our world. That this world is divided. And being divided is one of the things that humans do best. And in our recent history, America has gotten even better at it. And that's what we do in America. We get better at stuff. And so we separate ourselves not just by how we look different from each other 
or by what we have and what we don't have, but even further by what we think or what we believe, we are polarized. The AP reported it this way, it's no longer just Republican versus Democrat or liberal versus conservative, it's the 1% versus the 99%. Rural versus urban, white men against the world, climate doubters clash with believers, bathrooms have become battlefields, borders are battle lines. I'll slow down. Sex and race, faith and ethnicity, the melting pot seems to be boiling over. And for many of us sitting in this room, we've had a front row seat to that division as it didn't just exist in our Twitter feed or on our streets, but it jumped into our living rooms and even into the sanctity of our churches, into our closest relationships. And we could see division everywhere. That's why one of our aspirational vision targets catches many off guard, but it is so beautiful to many as we will lead in facilitating unity among diverse churches of the Ville. Unity among diverse churches. Unity is unusual, isn't it? It's what we seek in our homes. It's what we hope for in our workplace, in our neighborhoods, and inside of our church. But it never comes easy. And once we get it, it is so fragile. But it's worth fighting for. Have you ever had a scripture that you've just come back to over the years? Like, it just keeps calling you back. Like, I've, I've never really had that until lately. The last three years, John 17 is a scripture that I've read at least once a week. It keeps pulling me back. It's after the Last Supper, and Jesus has had his final words with his disciples, and, uh, and then he prays for his disciples, and he prays for us. Did you know that Jesus prayed for you specifically? He did. Here it is in John 17. It says, my prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. That's us today, that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I've given them the glory that you gave me that they may be one as we are one, I and them and you and me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then, then the world will know that you sent me. And have loved them even as you have loved me. And do you see what Jesus is saying here? That the unity of his church, his kingdom, will be a proof to the rest of the world that he is who he said he is. And to be honest, we've done a pretty horrible job at that for the last couple centuries. Even when Jesus gave us everything we would need, he gave us his Holy Spirit the early church sprang up in, within the Roman Empire, which, believe it or not, was even more deeply divided than we are today across ethnic, geographic, gender, and political lines. The Church of Jesus Christ was the only organization that crossed every single one of those lines. And one of the ways they did it happen was that 50 days after the resurrection, there was a, this amazing event called the Pentecost. We heard of Pentecost it says this in Acts 2. They were all together in one place and suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them and all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit. And they began to speak in other tongues or languages as the Spirit enabled them. And this miracle wasn't just that the apostles were speaking in languages that they didn't no. 
No, it's all the people who had gathered together from all over the world who were there were hearing the wonders of God in their own native tongue. I just got back from uh, Chile to visit one of our partners, Greg and Ellie Class at El Oasis, and it was awesome to see how they minister and, and serve the community they're in. But I also remembered how difficult a language barrier can be. Even the simplest of things is sometimes hard to communicate when you have that little language barrier. I'll share some of the missteps one day, maybe, of how simple things can be misconstrued. But many reference back to the Tower of Babel. When God confused all the languages, well, here he is healing that division and bringing everyone together, clearing a pathway so that there were no divisions. And from this event, thousands came to faith in Jesus. And so many were baptized. And it says that all the believers were together and they had everything in common. Unity. They had unity. If someone had a need, it says they sold that whatever they had and they cared for it. It said they met together every day. They ate together every day with glad and sincere hearts. And here's how the chapter of Acts ends. With all of them praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved because unity is attractive and it's beautiful. When people say they want to go back to the first church, this is what they're talking about. When people say, I want to be a church like the early church, this is what they mean. So here's the question. How did a church go from perfect unity to what we see now? Because if we were going to be really honest, the, when we were going to describe the church, the worldwide church, I don't think unity would be on the top 10 words that we use to describe it. Would you? Wouldn't. So how do we get there? Well, history nerds, get ready. You're going to love this. For everyone else, there will be pictures. <laughs> Even though the church continued to grow, it wasn't long after that greed and pride found their way inside the doors. There was a couple named Ananias and Sapphira. Remember them? They got together to conspire. Yeah. They sold a piece of property, and they said they were giving all the money back to the church, but really they were holding some of it back. And what did God do right then and there? Struck them dead. We're not passing the offering again. A problem. <laughs> but just like a brand new pair of shoes, some scuff marks started showing up really early on this perfect unity of this church. Then soon after, Gentiles came to faith in Jesus, and God miraculously showed that He was for it. And it was this incredible opportunity as the whole world was now able to come to faith in Jesus. But many folks, uh, many of the Jews argued that these folks need to convert to Judaism before they actually become Christians. They were called Judaizers. And so the apostles had to gather together in Jerusalem, first council in Jerusalem, and to discuss this. And they came to the conclusion that, no, we, they don't have to become Jews. But here's a few things to be, you know, <clears throat> to really pay attention to and in ways that we might make this better. But to be honest, if you read through the rest of the New Testament, you will find this problem popping up time and time and time again. That's why Paul has to continuously say there is no difference between Jew and Gentile. But you see that problem popping up and causing trouble. And then the early church got up into following great leaders. Can you believe that? 
They got into the cult of personality. In 1 Corinthians, Paul writes, you're jealous of one another and quarrel with each other. Doesn't that prove that you're controlled by your sinful nature? Aren't you living like people of the world when one of you says, I am a follower of Paul, and another says, I follow Apollos? Aren't you acting just like people of the world? Can you imagine Christians acting that way? Getting behind influential, bold preachers, pledging their allegiance, some cracks were showing. In 313, Christianity moved from being persecuted and illegal to the state religion of the Roman Empire. And although this brought multitudes more into the faith, do you think that it also might have caused some issues that we still deal with today? It sure did. As Christianity continued to spread all over the world, the faith matured, more theological debates continued to pop up that would result in ecumenical councils like Nicaea in 325 A.D., where Jesus' divine nature and the Trinity were being debated. Those essential things being debated that early. And then even the seemingly unified Catholic Church throughout the years, you would think it was together, but a lot of groups would splinter off, like the monastic groups. They were getting away from the opulence of the church. That's what caused them. And then one of the big ones in 1054, the Great Schism. Have you heard of the great schism between the Eastern Orthodox Church and the Catholic Church? Eastern Orthodox believed a few different things. Uh, The Holy Spirit proceeds from the Father, and that's something that the West agreed on, but then the West added in and the Son. And theologically, I I think it makes sense, but the East were like, you just can't add words like that into our creeds. Um, The West believed in purgatory. The East said, nah. The West said, no divorce. The East said, well, if there's adultery, you could divorce. The West said, married men cannot be priests. The East said, yeah, married men could be priests. So that and a few other things were very theological issues that we should discuss. We have the word of God to be able to tell us uh, what we should believe about this stuff and think about this stuff. Um, And so they got together. They got together in July 16th of 1054 in Constantinople to discuss these things, but what was really going on, underneath, behind the curtain was this power struggle. Who was in charge? Who should be in charge? Was it Rome in the West? Was it Constantinople in the East? And so they got together to discuss these theological debates and it ended by them both excommunicating each other. Imagine that. They excommunicated each other, so not so well. Almost a thousand years of shared history and theology, and the split has been permanent to this day. Then we fast forward to the moment most of us will remember from history class in 1517 when Martin Luther nailed the 95 theses to the doors in Wittenberg, Germany, and the church doors, and so began the Protestant Reformation that would further divide the church and violently so, violently so. Many of the wars hereafter, if you look through the history of Europe and beyond, have been blamed on the separation, but again, it's those power struggles, it's that sin, it's all those things underneath that are fueling them. All the way up until today, where churches can find division over the simplest things. Simplest things. I found a Reddit post of some of the ways that some churches have actually divided. Are you ready for this? It's a little crazy. Whether or not there should be a cloth on the altar. We, we don't have an altar. We're, we used to have one, and church divided over whether or not there should be a cloth. Church divided over whether or not you should clap after a baptism. 
One group wanted donuts, and another thought only communion should be consumed. This church, by the way, decided, and donuts won in a landslide. <laughs> Just to clarify that. One because someone was raising their hands to pray, and one because someone hid the vacuum from the others. My facilities team just said, we will not hide the vacuum from anyone. If you wanna use it, you're welcome to it. But isn't that quite a leap from the theological issues that divided the early church? And here's something, I didn't know this existed. Uh, this guy offers a free guide to how to leave the United Methodist Church. And he knows what he's talking about. He's got a lot of experience because he also helped people leave the Presbyterian Church and the Episcopal Church. He's got guides for that too. To quote Amanius Marcellinus, and this was a Roman historian from the late 4th century. So the late 300s, no wild beasts are so deadly to humans as most Christians are to each other. Hmm. Truth. Now, there's no doubt that the church is facing important and difficult theological issues. But for so many, instead of praying and seeking truth and unity, it's so much easier just to walk away. Do you know that there's 538 other churches in Louisville? Some people are going to keep searching until they find that one that agrees with them. And this flies in the face of Scripture. Bless you. Time and time again, we are challenged to fight for unity. In Ephesians, Paul urges us to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to what you have been called with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. And in 1 Corinthians, I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree that there be no divisions among you, but that you be united in the same mind, in the same judgment. And you know what? These scriptures just weren't meant for the leaders of the church. It was meant for every person in the church. Keeping unity is in all of our job descriptions. And as we go through life together, disagreements and difficulties are normal. But God calls us to a higher ideal. If we're to be a church that prays together, that praises God together, that celebrates the wins and mourns the losses alongside one another, we have to be resilient and full of grace. And it depends on every single one of us. Even though that unity is fragile, it's not an excuse just to lock arms and hunker down and focus on ourselves to the expense of a world outside that needs the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's not a reason. Because Jesus said our, attract, our, our unity will be so attractive to that divided world. So why is it? Why does a group of people from both sides of the tracks, from all different situations, socioeconomic, from all different ages. How, why do they all come together? Jesus is why. He's the reason why. Another aspirational goal that we have around this diversity is that we will be a multi-ethnic congregation, that people of different colors and cultures are represented in our church, our partnerships, and our leadership. We want to be a church community that looks like our community. Did you know that we have the second largest black community 
just right down the street from us, down Chamberlain Lane. The West End is the largest. Uh, we have the second largest. 22% of the city, uh, of our city, is black. 3.5% attend this church. We've got some work to do. Do you know one of the largest growing groups in the city is an Indian Asian population. In the two-mile radius, there's a large group. We've, we've come to realize that there are some spiritually underserved parts of our city. Spiritually underserved. That's why I'm so happy to say that we are working with an Indian Asian pastor who will be starting a church here on our campus. His name is Prasad Agamkar. This is a picture of Prasad and his beautiful family. And we are so thankful for him. He's been coming to our church since November and since day one, he's really resonated with the Love the Ville mission. He's going to be starting an Indian-Asian community here that will be culturally welcoming and gospel-centered. Prasada shared with me that there's an incredible opportunity to reach Indian-Asians who have moved to the United States with the gospel. This is a well-educated, upwardly mobile group of people whose lives have changed in so many ways. And we have the opportunity to reach out and love them with the, with the love of Jesus, no strings attached, and one day we'll be able to tell them why we love them so much when the time is right. We can, as we continue to work together to make this a reality, I want you to please be talking with and praying with your friends who are from India. Let them know that there is a church that loves them. And as you start to see us host some of these gatherings that are gonna be fantastic, they're gonna be massive, we invite you to bring them along and join with us. We're so thankful for Prasad and Vandana and their family, and we can't wait to see how God moves through this new community. It's exciting. Not only that, we're also excited to announce that we have a new deaf pastor on our staff. This is Todd Stenson. Many of you will recognize him. He has been at our church for 15 years and during most of that time has been leading in a volunteer capacity with our deaf community and, and they're serving together in their Bible studies. And now was just the right time to bring him on staff to let you all know that we love you, that we are here for you, that we want to support you and engage you in every level of the church's community that there's not a ministry you can't be a part of. We're so excited. And now we want you to go share with your community that there's a church that loves them, there's a church that is welcoming them and is ready for them, a church that wants to give you a place to serve. And we can't wait to see what God is gonna do in the deaf community here in the Ville. Isn't that exciting? It's good stuff. We're just getting started as we continue to pray about new ministry opportunities. It's exciting times. So this whole unity thing, it's one thing to keep a single church together, but what about when we're divided by buildings and history and beliefs? Because if you remember, our aspirational goal was to lead in facilitating unity among diverse churches. So how do we expect to pull that off? It's a good question. I think it's actually impossible without the Holy Spirit. I think it is all about the Holy Spirit, the one who brought the first church together. He's the one who needs to bring the church together today. And so what kind of unity is it that we're seeking? Well, great question. It's not an organizational 
unity. Like some denominations arrange one group over another, we do not seek control. We do not seek control. And it's not even a doctrinal unity where we have to agree on every single theological point of teaching. People have been trying to do that for thousands of years to no avail. Actually, we will meet with anyone who wants to meet with us if they claim Jesus Christ as their Lord and their Savior. Now, we will always stand by our values, but we will not exclude someone if they disagree. If we're called to love and serve our enemies, why should we not love and serve those who just disagree with us? We think we shouldn't. So our goal is to build relationships with pastors. And if it's not organizational or doctrinal, what kind of unity is it? It's relational unity that we seek. The same way that Jesus described it in John 17, I and you, you and me, that we have a relationship. And we hope to build these relationships with each other because if we don't know each other, how can we love each other? And as we build these relationships, we want to find ways to serve each other and to serve alongside of each other. And this has already begun. I want to share some stories with how we're already doing this. At the very beginning of the pandemic and the racial unrest in our city, Damian Thompson, who's the pastor at Emanuel Baptist Church here in Louisville, was convicted. He, he was on a Zoom call <clears throat> with a bunch of other pastors and the mayor of the city. And as he looked at the screen, he noticed the mayor was the only white face on the screen, that it was him and all these black pastors. And so Damian got on his phone, and he was going to blow up all the white pastors saying, where are you all at? And he noticed he didn't even have any contacts on his phone of white pastors, and he was convicted. So he put out the call on social media, and he sent it out for pastors to come together from all over the city and pray, and that's what we did. That's when we met together, and we started doing prayer walks all over the city. And as we've gotten to know Damien, and Tyler and I have gotten to build a relationship with him, Tyler's been able to speak at his church. He's been able to speak at our church. You've seen him on the stage. He's a person of peace. He's a funny dude. I love that guy. We've had opportunities to serve together and worship together and pray for each other. And we're going to continue that because we think that's what unity looks like. That's how it begins. On one of those prayer walks, I got to know a man named David Thomas, who's the outreach pastor at Greater New Beginnings Church in the California neighborhood. I and many folks from this church <clears throat> have been on prayer walks with him. And he is an example of what it looks like to love your community. He knows the blocks around his church, who those neighbors are, and he prays for them by name. And he's an example to us. And I just want you to know, church, that you've been able to support them. You gave over $25,000 to redo their basement, this, fix it up. It had so many water leaks and everything. And now it's been fixed to the point where they were able to use it this summer for the kids in their community to have a summer school program. I got to go see it, it was beautiful. It was amazing how those kids were engaging during the summer when they needed that teaching so much. And now they're continuing to open it up to the youth of their neighborhood. This is a place that has seen so much violence. And there is such a, a spirit of violence in there and they are doing God's work, reaching out to the youth in the California neighborhood. And we are so thankful that we get to partner with people like David in Greater New Beginnings. When tornadoes tore through western Kentucky, the area churches got together with Crossroads Mission to help lead the rebuilding effort in Dawson Springs. Dawson Springs was one of the places that was, saw so much devastation. Out of 2,000 homes, 900 were destroyed. 
So I am so happy to report to you guys that 39 different churches have joined together to help the local churches in Dawson Springs be the hero of the rebuilding effort. 39 different churches have been down there to help rebuild. That is a picture of unity. Yeah. And we're doing it for two more years, so if you're interested, we can hook you up. A few months ago, I got a call from Kenny Hilp. If you don't know Kenny, uh, just stop by one of our local coffee shops, and there's a good chance you'll run into him, because that's what he does all day, we think. We don't know what he does. He's in coffee shops. But he had formed a relationship with a pastor named Derek Miles at Greater Friendship Baptist Church in the West End. And he had just been having lunch with them for years as they have built a relationship. And Kenny reached out to us to let us know, hey, they had some major HVAC issues in their church that was keeping them from hosting a food ministry and a medical ministry and doing all the stuff that they had hoped to be doing in their neighborhood. And I'm happy to tell you all, Northeast, you gave over $22,000 to fix their HVAC. That's something you did. Yeah. I heard from Kenny this past week. He said, Pastor Miles sat in that fellowship hall for the first time in years and saw all kinds of crazy activity with all these different groups moving through the church and the church being used in the way he had always dreamed it would be used because of that gift. Instead, it brought tears to his eyes. And that is unity. It's all churches on all sides of the city that God has brought together in relationship. From Fairdale to Shively to Shelby County to Southern Indiana to Hikes Lane to Chenoweth and its Christian churches, Baptist churches, Presbyterian churches, Pentecostal churches, its friendships with leaders all over the city who love Jesus and who have felt the call of the Holy Spirit to be one and to bring, be unified together. And folks, God has placed this church, Northeast Christian, in a unique position to be able to lead in this endeavor. And when I say lead, I say it in the most humble of ways. We are not the experts, we are just the willing. And we're respected by churches of this city as a unifying force with a servant's heart. And that's something we don't take lightly. And it's our goal to continue to earn the trust of other church leaders and we know it's only going to happen over time and when we keep doing what we say we're going to do. But we want all of these churches in this city to succeed. There is no competition. We are all on the same team. And that is truly our heart. We saw a huge step forward this past August in the school blitz when there were 10 churches serving our schools together. And it was a great day as I heard back from a lot of those churches and how they served. Some of them said they had more volunteers for this than they've ever had for activities like it in the past. Churches like Fairdale who had a nine o'clock service and during the 11 they went out and they served at five different schools. Churches like Adventure who went to Tolly Elementary and they had their worship service there at the school and then they spent the rest of the day making that place look amazing. Churches like Shively who got to meet the principal of their neighborhood school for the very first time as they served on that campus and they found out all different ways they can engage them the rest of the year and how they can be a resource for them and to love on them. It's really awesome. And this is only the beginning, only the beginning. It's our goal that one day all the schools in Jefferson, Oldham, and surrounding counties will be touched and will be loved by the churches of the Ville. We can't do it alone. We need everyone to be involved in it. I've had the honor of joining a group of pastors uh, who've been coming together for years, actually, 
Each month, we meet up at a different church and we specifically pray for our city. It's a group called One City, One Church. Tim Parrish, who's a great guy, he's the pastor at New Life down on Goose Creek. Tim and I have gotten to start a really good relationship. He leads that One City, One Church team. He's invited some other pastors, including myself, to be on his leadership team. And it's something that I'm honored to be able to do with him. And it's, as a group, as we continue to get together and pray, we're also looking for opportunities to worship together. So look for those opportunities coming out soon. And we also are looking for opportunities to serve together. And I'm excited to say that One City, One Church is going to be serving together during the school blitz next year. And so it is all happening and it's just going to be our job to stay out of God's way. Is we can't wait to see. That's just the beginning of what unity looks like as we find more ways to serve. But I have to tell you, it is more than just me and our staff loving these churches. It needs to be every single one of us. Every one of us. We are all on the same team and we need all the folks to realize that. So here's how I'd like to end the, the, the message today. Earlier this week at our staff prayer time, we prayed for the churches that we've built relationships with. Uh, our, our staff spent, spent a good amount of time praying for other churches. Isn't that a beautiful thing? I want us to do it as a church. Uh, here's a list of some of the churches that we've started relationships with. Some of them are deep, some of them are new, some of them are hopeful. But will you pick one of those out right now? Pick one of those church names out because more than likely they're meeting right this minute somewhere in some part of our city. And I want you to take just a moment to start praying for them. Will you pray for their leadership? Will you pray for their vision? Will you pray for their unity as a church? Will you pray that God uses them to love the community they've been called to Will you pray that God strengthens them? Will you pray that one day all of us will come together in perfect unity and be an answer to Jesus' prayer? Pick that church out and spend the next few moments praying for them. Let's do it now.